Hello, freaks, and welcome to Radical Research, where we definitely sweat the small stuff. Thanks as ever to everyone who listens, responds, contributes their thoughts regarding our topics and episodes. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, Hunter and I also appreciate donations. This helps us with hosting and other, other related costs. We get no monetary reward from doing this thing, and while we aren't out to make a single cent, your contributions allow us to expand and grow in ways that we hope to see the fruits of sometime in the future. The PayPal ID for donations is Radical Research Podcast at gmail.com. Hunter. Yes. Did you hear, uh, I think the news went around earlier this week at the time of recording, that Johan Lanquist was back in Candlemas? The I singer. did hear that, as a matter of fact. Yeah, the singer from Epicus, right? Because I, yes. Yeah, I, that's great news. I mean, here's the thing for those who don't know, I'm just going to like, you know, name him as if you've never heard of him before, but I hope that. Life Edling, the bassist and leader and songwriter of Candlemas, can come up with like the goods musically. Because I felt that those last two EPs with Matt Slavin were just kind of skirting substandard. Right. Which is kind of a disappointing thing considering that you really want to hear like Matt Slavin in a really good Candlemas album, right? We'll get into him because he figures he figures into this episode subject tonight, and I've always liked him, but he's he's one of those guys that's not in a, on a lot of stuff that we love. Yeah, same. Yeah, and he's he's a great vocalist, and he finally got into Candlemas, and I've been wishing for that for years. And then, um, yeah, you get to kind of two substandard EPs, but I think life's writing, life Edling, man, I don't think we could hail him enough. We he's pretty much unimpeachable. Yeah. We'll be doing a lot of that on this episode, no doubt. <laughs> but, but, you know, I felt that there was a little bit of writing malaise coming into some of the later Robert Lowe material. A lot of that's really good, too, though. So anyway, let's go back to a time, uh, the mid-90s, when he was in full songwriting mode and really kind of like expanding out uh, from the kind of epic doom metal that he had pretty much founded or at least uh, yeah. perfected in Candlemas. I almost feel like he really did kind of codify that sound. You know, I mean, obviously he had his influences, but I feel like the entire epic doom sound is the result of life edling. He was influenced by Sabbath, of course. And then, you know, other stuff like Angel Witch and Deep Purple and the list goes on and on and on. Uh, Budgie, I think, figured in there for him. Sure. But, you know, it's funny. Yeah, think about it. Like Black Sabbath were just Black Sabbath. I don't think you could say, like St. Vitus was very street and Trouble was very kind of, this sculpted biblical kind of, right. uh, you know, a little more angular than Candlemas. Candlemas had this just flowing, like medieval. Yeah, like majestic. Yeah, and, and he really did found it because I don't think you can find many great sewed up examples of exactly what Epicus was in 1984, 85. Man, what a debut. Arriving in fully materialized form. Right. And I, and I think most people listening to this podcast in general probably know the basic history of Candlemass, so we're not going to give it tonight. But I did want to swing back to the 90s and this band called Abstract Algebra. By that time, you know, Life Edling had knocked Candlemass on the head for the first time since it had formed. Uh, they put out this Chapter 6 album, which technically it was their fifth. And that was cool. It moved them into like a more sort of power metal-y direction. Are you, how, how familiar are you with that one? I don't know if we've talked about Chapter 6 that much. 
Um, familiar in passing. I actually don't even own it. Yeah, um, it's good. Check it out. It's good. It has production issues. I think it's cold, kind of clanky, but the material is really cool. Kind of a little more heavy metal in the way that Solitude Eternus was always very heavy metal. Right. A band definitely influenced by Candlemass. But anyway, that album kind of got a tepid response and then they kind of disappeared and Life Edling reappeared with this band called Abstract Algebra, Abstract with a K, featured, as we mentioned, Matt's Levin on vocals. Also yeah. featured Mike Weed on guitar. Uh, I know, Hunter, you're a huge Memento Mori fan amongst his yes. other credits. Love Mike Weed. Abstract Algebra also featured this guy named Carl Westholm on keyboards. He would kind of become the Jeff Nichols of Candlemass. Like he played you know, the guy that would play with on different Sabbath eras and Sabbath albums. This guy, Westholm, played on various Candlemass era albums, including the two we're going to talk about here. And a guy named Heho Perkovic on drums, uh, who would also feature into some of the stuff we're going to talk about later on. So that was Abstract Algebra. Did you pick up on Abstract Algebra when they came out with their one and only album in the mid-90s? No, I, I got it much later. Yeah. Um, like early 2000s. Okay. Yeah. It was a it was a weird thing in 1995. It was kind of the album that nobody wanted, just in terms of what was it going definitely on. Definitely was like, yeah, I, that was not my headspace in 1995. Because it tried in imagery, in terms of imagery and some elements, it tried to fit into the sort of progressive metal thing happening, that post dream theater thing. But I think that was really more cosmetic. And I know that Life Edling was a fan of dream theaters, images and words, and awake at that time. Right. And I remember. Uh, talking to him, it was I was actually sharing a booth with him and Borovoy in L.A. Go figure. And um, he was Abstract Algebra had just kind of started doing its thing, and he talked. He was talking about Dream Theater, like this is this is going to be an album that like will show my Dream Theater influence. And I'm like, it, it came it came out. And I was like, mm, not really. It's more. It's more in the realm of like Eternal Idol or Tear by Black Sabbath, although not that good. I mean, you know that kind of. Can sure. you hear that at all? Yeah, 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 like, yeah, dark, epic, metal, yeah. And, and I don't get, I mean, I get the aspirations, but it doesn't really come across, the dream theater influence at least. No, I, and I agree with you. Um, it tries. I, I hear more Evergrey in it, the band that from Sweden that would become kind of a bigger prog metal thing. I, you know what I wonder, um, and I haven't really until now, is I wonder how aware of Lion's Share um, life edling was because lion share mm. is basically like dream theater meets eternal idol yeah yeah and well, it actually yeah. hits the mark and they're yep. swedish uh, totally agree yeah no that's a that's a really good observation i'll have to go back and listen i you turned me on to lion share of course i'd known about them through the years and with my my love of things like i know they're not swedish but like tnt silver mountain um a lot of the more you know the early europe stuff it's like mm -hmm. how could how did i not know lion share but thank you uh, and that's that's a really good point that there's a lot of that in abstract algebra for sure so this came out it was novel to hear edling doing this kind of stuff um cool to hear matt's laving on something cool <laughs> I, I never really totally loved this album what where do you where do you land with it then and now yeah i don't know that it's completely lovable i i you know i'll, I'll always keep it i think um it, it is a kind of a mid-90s curiosity um, and I do think it's good, and I think it's got merit. But, like, I wonder, too, how much of that I'm reading into these Candlemass records that we're going to talk about tonight, which I well, love very yeah. passionately. Yeah. Because Sorry, there's a, you know, a direct genetic link. It, it, well, exactly. I was just going to say that that this album gets 
more praise than I think it should. And the, the, the albums we're going to talk about by Candlemask get, kind of get less. And I, I feel like this is the, the weaker link between like chapter six and the albums we're going to talk about. But right. it definitely figures highly. It's very important. Um, and if you're a fan yes. of any strain of Swedish metal, then you, you know, you, you have to understand it at least. So we're going to kind of preface our talk about these late 90s Candlemas albums uh, by listening to a little bit of this abstract algebra album we've been talking about. Uh, we're going to play a song called Shadow Play. This came out in 1995. It was the self-titled and only abstract album uh, on the Swedish label Mega Rock. So even if we're both sort of not 100% into that album, I think we like it enough to get into something like that because that, that's a really great moment on that record. I was about to say, if the entire album were that good, I would, yeah, then I would be all, all about the record. Yeah, and it's, not, it's never bad. Like, there's no, no huge misstep. It's just, it doesn't quite nail what it's trying to nail all the time, especially with the talent in it. Mike Weed, Matt Slavin, of course, Life Edling, you know, running things. And then, you know, that, that lineup, uh, for the most part, went on to record Abstract Algebra 2. That was supposed to be the name of the second album. It went poorly. In terms of the sound quality and the, and the vibe that they were getting down, Life Edling just didn't feel confident that he had anything worth uh, any label's interest. And he started to lose hope. And he, he talks about, in interviews from this era, he talks about, like, really having lost his mind. I don't know how serious that is, but he, he sounds like he had some level of breakdown. Um, just, you know, this creation of his was wandering and he'd never experienced that since probably the early, the last days of Nemesis or something, you know, the, the pre-Candle yeah, right. pre Mass band. But Music for Nations, the label, of course, everybody should know what that is and who that is. They entered the picture. They were interested. They had put out Chapter 6 by Candlemas and they listened to the stuff and they said, look, you know, this is pretty good. We would really prefer you call this band Candlemas and then we'll put it out. And then Life scrapped everything rebuilt Abstract Algebra 2 into another album that we'll talk about in just a second. Uh, I did want to play something from that aborted session, a song called Blue Wizard, which appeared on the next Candlemas album as a song called Wiz. Um, I really like this version. I really do too. And let's just take a listen and we'll talk about when we get back. 
There you go, a little material from the aborted second album, Sessions by Abstract Algebra. Obviously showing a more doom-heavy direction there, right? Yes. And it, the whole right, thing, right. though. And an earthier direction, too. Yeah, definitely. So, you know, even though people talk about, oh, you know, Dactylis Glomerata by Candlemass is nothing but an Abstract Algebra album, I mean, <laughs> it's more Candlemassy than the first Abstract album, for sure. Yes, oh, absolutely. Uh, worth noting, just for you know, continuity's sake, the uh, guitarist on the second Abstract Algebra album, Never To Be, uh, was a guy named Patrick Instead. He replaced Mike Weed. So Mike Weed, as he does sometimes, he kind of came, came and went really quickly. I don't think that Mike Weed would have been an appropriate uh, guitarist for this material, really. Um, and you know what's funny I about mean, that? He, I'm sure he would have done a serviceable job, but like Mike Weed's talents are better deployed elsewhere. Yeah, and it's funny you mention that because the guy that – Life Edling would go ahead and get for this next abstract album turned Candlemas album, Dactylis Glomerata, was Mike Amott, of all people. Right. Who I think is very much in the style of a Mike Weed or a Frederick Ockeson or that sure. kind of Right? Yeah, but his background is like completely different than either of those guys. <laughs> this is very you know, I, mean, he's got, I mean because he's you know he's always been a doom fan he was into you know swedish hardcore obviously came up through carnage got into carcass so like micah mott is an interesting character because he's got he kind of like wraps all of those things into one but yeah he definitely has the capacity to be a an Ocasin or a weed uh, but i i feel like he he's got affinities too that lend him well to this new candle mass but Mike Amott is not hugely present on Dactylis the way you might think of Mike Amott on any given Amott record, right? Well, uh, I mean, if you didn't know, you know, by way of the liner notes that Mike Amott was involved, I'm not entirely sure you would know it's Mike Amott. Well, fair enough. I think the point's made. We won't have to make it later. But one other thing yeah, I want I to say about... Life Edling, you know, directs the, the music in such a way that it kind of 
I'm not going to send it, it because the, the guitar works anything but anonymous, but like it could have been anybody else too. I agree with that. It's at least a modish Amat record, basically. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, one thing I want to say about the transition at this point for Life Edling really was it reminds me of like Black Sabbath, Seventh Star, or Manila Road, Circus Maximus, where both times those records were being recorded as either a solo project or something that was to be called something different. And then the record label comes in and says, Hey, that's cool stuff, but you know, uh, we want, <laughs> it's not cool. We enough. Want the name. It's not cool enough that we think we can sell it with that name. So can you go back to the old name? Right. I, I think seven star is cool enough. I'm a big fan. Uh, you know, I, you're a bigger fan than you know, I, I love my Glenn Hughes, man. To me, that album is just like bookended by monolithic albums. Like it can't possibly compete with. Yeah, that's, Born again and eternal idol that's a that's a whole other conversation i suppose okay yeah <laughs> i don't mean to belittle your seventh star but. <laughs> so um after abstract algebra the candle mass name hadn't really been whispered in some time and out of at least to me maybe not to you it's other people but to me i remember being completely blown away by the fact that candle mass had reappeared they were on Music for Nations. They had this album called Dactylis Glomerata, and it had this like completely new lineup. Um, I think very, very significantly, um, a new vocalist named Bjorn Floodqvist, um, who added an entirely different dimension to the Candlemass fray. I mean, uh, you know, Candlemass, we sort of associate with this, you know, epic, majestic, dramatic overall kind of vocal style a lot of warbling just, a lot of vibrato musical, yeah obviously like messiah <laughs> messiah is the king of vibrato and metal and and bjorn brings a almost like sort of an outsider um sort of approach to it yeah um, call. like i mean he sits very comfortably in a metal context but i feel like he could have been put in like an alternative rock band and done just as well right yeah, and he actually was in a band later called Enter the Hunt that was kind of like that. It it had that sort of post-alternative right. or post-grunge sort of vibe. It was, but it was darker, maybe possibly a little doomier. But uh, yeah, you know, he worked well in that context for sure. So you you reviewed this album for Maniacs, correct? Yeah, I believe I did. So that was actually how I came to know about Dactylus Glomerata. In oh. fact, I remember exactly where I was on Peachtree Road in Atlanta in the summer of 98 when I read that review. I remember and, and people, if you don't know, like I used to take, before I actually got to know Jeff Wagner, like this guy was like my idol. And I, I, I remember like with distinct Hilarious. memory, every um, word that the guy wrote before I actually got to know him. <laughs> well, that's, that's hilarious and awesome <laughs> to me, but like, uh, you know, if, I'm honored to know you. It was a fine review too, as, as I remember. Uh, you know, uh, I remember where I was at when I got it and heard it. I was walking back from the subway in Astoria, New York from my Maniacs job and, and looking at it. And, and, you know, I had one of those like CD Walkman players at the time and looking at the CD as I was, as I was kind of walking home on the sidewalk and, and uh, going, wow, this looks different and sounds different. And again, you know, the information just wasn't there. So you were like kind of suddenly getting this Candlemas album and suddenly hearing that they're changing direction. And, um, but I was into it from the beginning. It just, not just because of the Candlemas name, but, or that, you know, skull and, and uh, they're, they're, it's tapered wood of some sort. It's a completely badass logo, especially for a skull, which can often be kind of trite. But <laughs> I remember looking at that and the, and the album 
cover and the titles and, and listening to I, that actually the titles like really got me oh sure sure and just like kind of being sucked into it and i've been sucked into it ever since these this album and the next one from the 13th sun subject of the episode obviously really pivotal albums for me like in terms of where that when they came out what they still mean to me and where they sit with a band that I really, really care about and have since the first album, um, a band that I don't think has made a lot of missteps, but the highlights are high. And I think these two albums are very high on our list. Most other Candlemas fans don't agree. I get the sense. And that's why we're kind of talking about them tonight. So what do you say we go into Dust Flow right away and just talk about Please. it? Please. All right. High point of the album? High point in the discography. Wow. Okay. So you do think it's the best one on this album? Uh, I'm not entirely sure about that, but I mean, man, what a, so many moments, actually. The keyboards, when they just come in, that lifts it up a new level, kind of brings it back to that older gothic candle. But, gothic, but like, but all, I got like rainbow kind of vibes from it too. Ooh, yeah, like sure, a, sure. Yeah. But like a, the, the vocals, and the atmospherics at the beginning of that, I almost could, in a weird way, hear like um, like a no man Tim Bonus kind of thing going on there. Love it. Yeah, I totally hear that. You know, you're being introduced to an entirely new iteration in the Candlemass sound. Um, you know, this is a guy chasing a new vision altogether. 
Well, when I told you about walking, you know, home in Astoria and listening to this and being really blown away by it, I think this was the song because this comes up fairly early in the album. Right. Was it number th- third, third song on the album? Yeah. And it's like, you know, it starts with Wiz. It has I Still See the Black. Like those are kind of upbeat, rocking, very yeah. Candlemass, like, but, you know, very Chapter 6 Candlemass too, where they're, you know, a little faster, a little more energy and, and, and kind of power and, and precision. Um, not that the other candle mass didn't have that, but I think you know what I mean—the the power metal thing. Um, yeah, sure, and, then, sure. and then dust flow comes in, and wow! Like suddenly we're almost in, yeah, like you said, no man, Tim Bonus world, Pink Floyd world, Uriah yeah. Heap world, Rainbow world. Yeah, that's yeah, know. yeah, I, yeah, yeah. The heap, yeah, no, no, you're dead on with the heap, the heap thing. Well, Life Edling love them, so yeah, there sure. you go. That we're hearing it, uh, but yeah. Anyway, um, do you know what Dactylis glomerata is? I, I don't actually. I, I, look, I haven't known it since, that, up before we did since this. that day in a story, but now I know. I, about a week ago, I looked it up. It's orchard grass. Uh, um, just a common species of grass, and apparently Life Edling is allergic to it. <laughs> Isn't that awesome? I also want to call out Mons Monson, who plays Theremin on Dust Flow. Now, if we add Theremin to Dust Flow, that suddenly does become our favorite song in this album, right? <laughs> I guess so, yeah. <laughs> you know, by default. <laughs> yep synth whores synth whores yeah <laughs> we'll do a what well, we should do a well, pretty easy podcast. lay when it comes to a synth man i feel like you and i are like likely to forgive a bad song if it had like a badass moog squelch or something ladies and gentlemen hunter and i are starting a spinoff podcast called synth whores coming to you <laughs> in november of eight, 2018 <laughs> check it out uh <laughs> You're right, though. I have some. I have some sort of questionable '70s prog albums that I love because of the synth. <laughs> I'm like, I'm just keeping that. Because, like the uh, what's this? Um, what was the German band? Is it Epidaurus or something like that? Oh yeah, Epidaurus. Yeah. Like I like it fine. I have some problems with it, but like that is a synth masterpiece. I, mean, I have like, that just, album. Yeah. Just in terms of the sounds, like I'm totally. like that's I'm keeping that, and even though it's kind of dodgy in spots, like I'm keeping that. It's, no, it's a gorgeous synth record. Episode one of Synthors, Epidaurus. <laughs> Epidaurus. And every, every subtitle of those will be, Synths are great. <laughs> synths are the best, man. Speaking of synths, they're, they're, you know, keyboards of various kinds were Carl Westholm's stock and trade. Um, they're all over Dactylis Glomerata. One song we're not going to play for you is Abstract Sun. I think that's truly one of the best from this whole era. We just didn't pick it. We're going to listen in succession to Apathy and then Lidocaine God. They kind of come together on the album. We're going to listen to snippets of both and we'll come back and uh, revel in their awesomeness. Up and corridors, I 
So there were several Candlemas B-sides from this era that kind of took Lidocaine God, the last snippet we heard, and sort of split it in two. And they focused on like either the really kind of like swingy, kind of loungy sort of rhythmic vibe right. to that song. And then like the, re- or they would split and just like the song called Rock and Roll of all song titles. <laughs> would delve into the really fast part. And they, they, they were these B-sides. So this era of Candlemass, even though it's only two albums, it does have some interesting sort of B-sides and extra stuff that you should really seek out on discogs.com. Agreed. And one day we're going to have a Discog sponsorship. That's my goal here. That would be pretty sweet. It's the only reason we do this. <laughs> we're building up to that. <laughs> Free records. Uh, what do you want to say about those? God, I, what I want to say is I should listen to these albums more often than I do even. <laughs> I, like, I, like just hearing these snippets, like they kind of scratch like almost every conceivable itch that I have as a music listener. Um, I can see what you mean. Yeah. You know? Yeah, like, I mean, it's it's heavy, it's dark, it's super textured, it's atmospheric, it's catchy. Um, I I don't I don't know. I, I'm I'm really proud of the fact that we're spending a couple of hours of our life defending the worth of these albums. You know what's funny is like the life of this podcast so far. There have been shows, and certainly the next episode are things that we knew immediately were going to happen, like within the first. 10 episodes that didn't always happen of course but i'm just saying yeah there were things that were just yeah. obvious and, and imminent conclusions, yeah yeah they were foregone conclusions they were imminent and this one was kind of like a whim like it just occurred to me like let, let's do this let's let's talk about these i don't think enough people do look, and look i can all- understand like why these albums might not appeal to to your or i and i don't mean to cast aspersions here but i mean I guess there are Candlemas fans for whom like Nightfall and that sound is kind of the be all end all. Um, And and I understand why um, that, you know, Dactylis or from the 13th Sun would not appeal to that listener, but they are crucial cogs in the Candlemas discography and and part of an overarching vision. And, And the thing is, it's the, the vision of the same man that authored, you know the debut and authored nightfall and uh anyway that no that's a really really excellent point because this was steered by one guy uh, a guy that was primarily influenced by black sabbath and any true black sabbath fan and i maybe i will cast an aspersion here (laughs) but any any true black sabbath fan goes beyond the first four albums like those are amazing uh a couple of them are flawed but and we can debate that some other time but like those are amazing but the, the, the stuff they did after that was just as amazing. I mean, there's no question in my mind. And, I, and, and what I feel that Life Edling does with Candlemass is kind of the same model. Like he, he wasn't afraid to take it into new areas. I mean, even Chapter 6 was a very different move for them. And I think by Tales of Creation, I love that album, but I'm glad that he realized they were kind of hitting a wall and didn't need to keep going there. Yeah, no, it was, it was, he was lateral at that point. Yeah, and Tales of Creation was totally like one of my favorite lateral albums ever. Uh, the other lateral album in their career was Ancient Dreams, which I don't, I'm not as big of a fan of as Nightfall and Tales of Creation. Um, yeah, neither am I. Though I love it, you know. But anyway, that's Dactyl's Glomerata. The other thing I want to say before we get to the second and final album of this era is that Life Edling had a way of picking vocalists, man. And I think we've touched on this before, but if we list them, yeah, for sure. Think about. You know, the guy in the first album who we've mentioned is back in the band. That guy was incredible. 
that guy was still probably my favorite singer in this band. And the guy that we're listening he's to. He's like the, the Scott Rieger of, uh, of Candlemass. Oh, good, good comparison, man. That's great. Scott Rieger's is a favorite of mine. And, and I, think that, I think they've got a similar sort of ghostliness to them. Um, yeah, for sure. Like a desperation. Yeah, yeah. But you look at him. You look at Messiah. Messiah was totally great for what he was doing. Absolutely. I mean, I give that guy huge props. Um, Robert Lowe, Matt Slavin, and then this Bjorn guy from this whole era. So let's get into From the 13th Sun, which directly followed Dactyl's Glomerata pretty quickly, too. Came out the next year. Yeah, uh, the next year, right? Yeah, and they uh, same basic lineup, although they kept – uh, they kept everybody except uh, Amat was out and a then unknown guitarist named Mott Stahl came in. I've been a believer in this album since its release. I remember when it came out feeling like I was the only one in the world who had to care about it because Dactylese did not do well. Why would anybody care about this album, right? For me, it's on the, it's on the, in the top three of the best Candlemas albums, sometimes tied with number one. Two favorite Candlemas records are, Ep- are Epicus and From the 13th Sun. Mine is Epicus, Nightfall, and From the Thirteenth Sun tied for first. Can I can I be that ridiculous? <laughs> but you know, I mean, like I was friends with Chris Maycock then and, and now, uh, aka Chris Black. Uh, he came forth immediately as a lover of that, so that was good for me to have an anchor out there somewhere. Um, this guy named right. John Gaffney, who started the Candlemas Chronicles, was co-creator of that amazing magazine. Uh, they even dedicated their very first issue to. From the Thirteenth Sun, and for people that don't know Candlemas Chronicles, this was a, a zine series in the mid two thousands. Every issue was a different Candlemas album focused on, and the layout was amazing, the writing was amazing, the intent, and the overall sort of like information capture was all incredible. And apparently, there are no back issues of those because I missed some of them. But they started their thing with From the Thirteenth Sun, so he was a big believer. And then, of course, you, Hunter, when I met you, this was one of, probably one of the first albums we bonded on. Was like, oh, you you love From the Thirteenth right. Sun Candlemas? That's that's awesome. I, I really think it's one of the like great underrated metal albums of the late nineties. And why? What 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 about it? Because you know what? If you read it on paper, at least what Life Edling says about it, it's nothing but a Black Sabbath tribute. But I don't and I, I remember actually getting into an argument with Jim Raggi about that. And that's what he said. He said, Oh, it's just a Black Sabbath cover album. I think that's poppycock. I think that it's um, the work of a visionary who is very influenced by a particular band and then takes that influence into a completely different place. It's obvious you, you hear like the Black Sabbath influence, sure, um, sure, which is apparent in most doom. But like, I just hear life edling through and through in this. I also hear him using his guys in his band a little more too. I mean, they're there on Glomerata, but there's more Carl Westholm here. There's more Mott Stahl, the new guitarist. That guy is key on this album. His, his rack yes. of effects, analog effects, is unbelievable. And I think this is Bjorn's better album. He's awesome on Glomerata. Oh. He's, his singing on From the 13th Sun, even better, even more. It's just richer, more emotional. Takes you kind of a, to an even deeper place. Um, and then Perkovic is just an awesome drummer. No, he's what. for sure better on this album. I think the drumming on this record is really remarkable, actually. What makes you say that? It's incredibly musical and sensitive. I love the way the drums are recorded. It, it's, a, it's a metal record, but I don't think the drums are metal drums. Um, it, it's almost like the way that Chris Reifert approaches death metal 
or maybe even like Nikki Anderson to a certain extent. It's like a rock drummer playing death metal. I almost feel like this is a jazz drummer playing doom metal. We've mentioned both Anderson and Reifert before, and we will again. I mean, those those are probably two of our favorite death metal drummers, if not the two greatest. I guess Sean Reinhardt has to go, has to go in there. He's he's okay. Uh, but but no, but I, you know, to your point, man, you're completely right on about that. And I haven't really thought about it maybe from that angle. But think about, let's jump ahead a little bit on this album before we play anything. There's a song called Cyclo F, and it's great as a song. And then what it does, it does the impossible. <laughs> now, hear me out. Uh, I hate, I fucking hate in-studio drum solos. Like, they can never be good. I, have, I love drumming, man. But I want it within this context of the song. Live, I think Neil Peart and Mike Mangini are two of the few drummers I've ever seen where I wanted the drum solo to go on longer. So, I say this as a drummer. I hate both <laughs> studio and live drum solos. I hate drum solos altogether. However, I think you're going to mirror my, my opinion on this, but let me, let me just put it out there. And I think we've talked about this before, but let's go public. His drum solo on this is awesome because it's, it's not really planned out. Apparently he was smoking as he was drumming according to Candlemas Chronicles. He said it himself. Um, but it, it's so loose and weird, and it fits into the cosmic nature of the album. It actually goes on a little too long, and when they crash in with the music, that drum solo has so much impact. What you just heard has more impact because of the space it offered to the album, and then like you know the band coming in and crashing in with another Doom riff. And suddenly you're like, oh, that was a, an amazing in-studio drum solo. I've never said that before. I don't think I've even said it again. <laughs> I mean, no. is that just me? Do I have a special affinity for it that maybe I'm just trying to convince myself? No, 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 no. I, I remember actually reading about it and sort of like knowing when it came into the album and wincing and walking away from it like so moved. It's almost poetic. It's like a really, really delicate, like calligraphic, improv and i don't like yeah it's free I verse like, i have a really uneasy uh relationship with improvisation just all together yeah me too um, but like there's just something so dialed in about it even though it's free verse you talked about being poetic like it's free verse poetry it's like it's just right. kind of flows one over here and it goes over here. like it doesn't really have a, a a point yet it never feels superfluous like it's always like wow that needs to kind of be there. Like I never want the album without it. Again, that's an important point to make. We're probably spending too much time on it, but I just, I think both of us and a lot of people out there hate studio drum solos. So there you go. Um, it's a good one. We like it. Now we can move on and talk about the stringed instruments and the vocalist. The, uh, the album, we talked, we talked a little bit about how from the 13th Sun sounds, it was recorded completely in analog. Late 90s, maybe one of the last albums to really do that unless you're like a Pearl Jam or something. Yeah, like that and, and uh, Mr. Bungles, California. Which was what, uh, 99, 2000? It came out in 99. It was yeah. recorded. Yeah, it was either, I think it was recorded like late 98, early 99. Fair but enough. One of the last grand um, old analog productions. Right. And we're going to listen to another grand analog production. This is, uh, this is probably my favorite song of this entire era of Candlemass, a song called Tote which is T-O-T. It translates into death in German, and that's exactly what Life Edling's purpose was. Um, this was actually supposed to be the name of the album. I don't know if you knew that, Hunter, but... 
no. record label didn't like that. So he came up with the, the title that it now bears from the 13th Son, which he said it means absolutely nothing. Um, but it's a cool title. But uh, this song, what do you want to say about Tote? I, I agree with you. It, I don't know that I'm going to say it's my, my favorite from this era, but it's one of them for sure. Let's do it. I mean like we're basically walking through like all the different moods of this era of candle mass in this one little clip that we played yeah oh, totally. uh, but man like the vocals on this are just unbelievably moving to me and just ghostly and evocative and yeah so the guitar effects too right yeah, uh, much stall, man. I mean, he, yeah. his work on here is amazing. And, and Life Edling and even Westholm kind it, of point, point to him as like a key of, of this album. Well, it's almost like he ta- like he kind of reroutes the virtuosity of like Mike Weed, Mike Amott. And like, re- you know, like in, instead of Shred, you get like this incredible um, faculty with effects. You know, it's like effect Shred. Well, you know what's weird? Uh, I will. I, I kind of five minutes before we met for this um, recording of this episode, I, I was thinking about Piggy from Voivod, which I often do. But and I, and I thought we're probably not going to have any reason to mention Voivod on this episode because it seems like they come up all the time. Imagine <laughs> that. But uh, now that you say that, I have to mention Piggy because he kind of went through a phase. He went through a phase where he didn't play solos anymore, but he did effects. I mean, you think about Phobos. I was about um, to say no, like yeah, he no he 
his work on Phobos is incredible. And I think it's, I think it's an analog to what Mott Stahl did on this album, in a way. Yeah, and I mean, you know, same era, basically. Yeah, late, late 90s. Late 90s. 99, sure. Yeah. You know, and that was an era where, like, people were, like, consciously, oh, we're not doing solos anymore, you know. Uh, Kirk Hammett was talking down about solos at, at, at one point. Um, just ridiculous, you know. But, but I think Piggy and Mott Stahl in these examples, they, they made that work really well. Like you didn't miss the, you didn't miss the solos. No, not at all. Uh, the next tr- snippet we're going to play is this song called ARX NG891. What we're going to hear is sort of the skeleton of the song. And we're very deep into it at this point. And that's important to remember because the snippet ends near the end of the song. It's this totally chill bed of effects. And, and I think this is a good time to play this since we're talking about all the effects. Um, goes on for another two minutes after what we hear. But it's that kind of bravery, and it's right in the middle of the album. It's got, that's that kind of bravery and experimentation that kind of marks this era of Candlemas. You know, just like, yeah, let's, let's do two and a half minutes of swirling effects and nothing else. Um, stuff they never would have thought about doing back in the, in the so-called classic era, right? I think it's um, pertinent to note, I remember uh, a playlist of Life Edlings from Maniacs, um, and I believe it was like in, in 99, like when this album came out and he was listening to okay computer and he was listening to, um, tea parties triptych. So like his head was in another place too, you know, like of course it's in black Sabbath, but like he's obviously opening himself up to other influences and to other sounds. And yeah, it's like, it sort of like gives him license to do something like this. Yeah, really good point and really on the mark in terms of the song we're going to listen to. So let's, yeah, let's check this out. Soon it's gone. Soon it's gone. 
So my question there is who let Klaus Schultz run amok in Goblin's rehearsal room? <laughs> you don't have an answer? I, a, a wise man. So before we get to the next. Anybody with taste. Yeah. Anything else you want to say about that? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, let's proceed. Yeah, I mean, before we get to the last snippet from this great, great from the 13th Sun album, um, you know, like I mentioned earlier, they had some great B-sides. Some of that stuff can be heard on the Wiz EP. Uh, this 7-inch called Rock and Roll Nimus uh, just splits sides between rock and roll and a song called Nimus. Highly recommend tracking down the Wiz EP, which has stuff like Thirst and Container and is awesome. Bug Queen. I mean, yeah, that and that stuff really predates uh, Candle Mask, goes back to the Abstract Algebra two album uh interestingly this is kind of cool this um this lineup that we're listening to and from the 13th sun got together in 2007 to record a few more songs uh so we're talking what eight years later is my math right yeah uh yes yeah for for bonus tracks on this vinyl reissue of from the 13th sun which was the first time it was ever out on vinyl um they did something called odessa chamber a pretty forgettable instrumental nothing exciting a song called Socrates with a K, which goes back to Abstract Sun with a K, I suppose, and Abstract Algebra with a K. And then there was John the Leper, which is a really great track. But one of the interesting things about that song is it wasn't written by Edling. It was written by Bjorn, the singer. And um, as any Candlemas fan knows, you know, Life wrote pretty much everything, unless it was like a small little snippet or he had a little co-write here and there. But um, John the Leper, yeah, that's that's a standalone Bjorn Flutkovis song and uh it's a it's a really good one yeah so this is another track from from the 13th sun this is galatia pretty much speaks for itself like so much of the album and i uh, encourage listeners to get this on any format any version it, it'll be money well spent this is galatia from from the 13th sun
that one track really takes me back. I got that record in February of 2000. Okay. So I didn't get it right when it came out. I got it from Metal Disc. Lila, is that yep. her name? Yep. Yep. And um, Galadia really just right now kind of took me back to February of 2000. So I, th- I think I know which albums you're, you're listening to tomorrow, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Anathema, Judgment, From the 13th Sun. What else? That's a good pair. Yes. After this, the band dissolved. Um, I mentioned Enter the Hunt earlier. That was a band that Bjorn and also the guitarist Mats were in. Not on the same levels from the 13th Sun. I checked it out recently, but sounds pretty decent. It, and it landed on Epic Records of all places. I don't know. I suppose it probably just a European deal or a Scandinavian deal. Yeah, I would think probably, yeah. It's yeah. Sweden. Uh, Carl Westholm went on to this band called Carp Tree. Uh, this prog band and they've had seven albums and they're kind of in the Marillion porcupine tree kind of vein. And I would say that porcupine tree and Marillion are very different bands, but there's, there's uh, elements of both there. Yeah. And, and um, life of course went on to resurrect the nightfall era of Candlemas six years after 13th sun was put out. In the meantime, he formed a band called crux with a couple guys from the post classic era of entombed and uh, Frederick Ockeson from uh, talisman and Opeth. I, what, what's your experience with Crux? Like, did, did this is this something that was on your radar after liking these Candlemass albums? And no, it completely missed me. Have you listened to it? No, I, I have, and I, I I feel like so many people like it, but I the, the stuff that I've listened to, I just feel like it's kind of it feels like leftover Candlemass. It's doom without much purpose. It's like, why didn't he do that with Candlemass? So I'm, I'm a little right. bit befuddled by Crux. And if people want to try to enlighten me, they can uh, send compact discs of Crux to uh, Walker Avenue, Greensboro, North Carolina, <laughs> 27403. <laughs> um, and I know they've come across my desk before and my hi-fi, but I just, I've gotten rid of them. Yeah, and that's, that's pretty much the story. So let me ask you this, Hunter. Of all the stuff you know from the later Candlemass, you know, the self-titled with Messiah and the Nightfall lineup, the yeah. Robert Lowe stuff, the Matt Slavin yeah. stuff, did anything from the Dactylese and 13th Sun era inform anything later for Candlemass? I, I, again, I really kind of have to go back and listen to it with that in mind, but not really. To me, it kind of sounded like after um, 13th Sun Life abandoned that and then just kind of went back to making uh, his own trademark brand of doom metal. And I, and I agree with that. I ask as kind of a somewhat of a devil's advocate in a way. I, I mean, I agree. There was something on the self-titled, what was it called? Uh, Copernicus. That was kind of- Oh, that, yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of that spacey cosmic sci-fi- yeah you know, novel kind of uh, vibe that some of these uh, albums had, you know, from the late 90s. There was some stuff on the Psalms for the Dead album, the last one with Robert Lowe that I thought kind of touched on some of this. But for the most part, I'm going to agree with you. I think he swerved back to Candlemass and went to safer territory, uh, you know, after this. You got to have a career, right? Because you're, you're not going to have a career yeah, he's right. with songs like ARX and G891. <laughs> Probably not if only yeah um we lived in a world where you could have a career with that 
Right. But you know what? I mean, this era of Candlemas has legendary pieces of perfection like Tote and uh, Dust Flow. Uh, that's in their back pocket forever. So hats off to Life Edling and the 90s Candlemas. Indeed. Hey, Hunter, next episode, can you muster anything to say about 1993, particularly a certain day in September? Maybe. For starters, and I believe you've actually mentioned this on the show before, you actually made me a shirt one time that said nothing but 1993 on it. Indeed, I did. Because that's pretty much the basis of my life, is 1993. <laughs> like, when I get down in the dumps, I just think back to 1993, right. and it gives me a reason to keep going. So for Radical Research 15, I know that this show was born out of an impulse to talk about Norwegian post-black metal, all the interesting things around that. But really, I think that Radical Research deep down was born out of an impulse to talk about the amazing and wonderful things that were happening in weirdo left field progressive metal in 1993. On a very fateful day, September 15th, 1993, sort of Roadrunner's last um, grasp at, uh, at, at cutting edge metal, they released on one, one day, Cynics, Focus, Believers, Dimensions, and Pestilence Spheres. And it's maybe the most important day in progressive death metal history. The mind, 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 the mind,